It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Wenigal and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Laura Perry and Michael Steindl. Morning, Kay. Morning. Hi, guys. Today we're going to be talking to Tom Quinn, the Executive Director of the Future Business Council. Tom is an experienced communicator and strategist who understands the challenges facing Australia's economy this century. He works to unlock the opportunities presented by the trends reshaping the world and enabling future-focused business to prosper. Tom has extensive experience in the construction and property, energy and agriculture sectors in Australia. And he's also got a passion for business resilience and innovation. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good morning. Great to be here. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thanks for making the time. Tom, Hello. our first question is to ask what first got you interested in sustainability and the environment. I understand you're the sustainability officer at the City of Melbourne prior to starting this company, as well as policy yeah, research definitely. for the Green... Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think people fall into probably one or two categories. You either you know, just born like um, interest in sustainability or you come to an epiphany later in life because of the work you're doing or something that happens. For me, I grew up on a farm in South Gippsland um, and so I was, I guess, exposed to nature and sustainability. So it's always just an innate part of what I've done. And growing up on a farm too, I think that really helped inform that we didn't have to face this false choice between choosing the environment or the economy. These two actually sit together um, um, very nicely it makes a lot more sense. It's where we need to shift our economy to and that we don't have to say, I'm either for the economy or the environment. So, yeah, that's, I came to it from a very young age. You know, our family farm um, was one of the first um, wild for li- land for wildlife um, registered properties oh, um, right. in Australia. But There's probably some quite embarrassing photos of me as a little <laughs> five-year-old tacker on, on posters in bedrooms, walls around the uh, around the country. Um, <laughs> and that's, I guess, informed a lot of what I've done in the years since. So, you know, yeah. when I went to university, I actually studied international politics um, with a real focus on um, sustainability, environment, climate change issues, being the defining international issues of that time. And from there, it's flowed through to basically everything else that I've done. Okay. And it seems to me, talking to other people, that, that, that that's a very similar story that they have, that if you grow up on the land, you tend to have a much better appreciation of sustainability in general. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's very true. I think it just underscores the importance of making sure um, kids, irrespective of where they grow up, do have chances to get out into nature and the environment and actually see this big, beautiful country of ours. And we did just forget to um, warn listeners, Tom, I understand you're on baby duty, so if the baby starts crying um, before nine, then you might have to bail. Um, <laughs> That's right. Look, 
uh, hopefully we'll avoid that. But yes, we've got a little five-week-old boy. So, um, <laughs> well done. That's that's a um, a sign of optimism for the future, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Your business goal, Tom, is to position Australia as a global hub for future business innovation and to become the internationally preferred supplier of sustainable goods and services. The Future Business Council, your company, exists to advocate for the benefits of change and push for the reforms that will shift the economy in favour of more sustainable, innovative and ethical business models. Tell us how you propose to create that shift. Yeah, definitely. Look, I guess taking one step back, um, the Future Business Council isn't a company. It's a, a peak business group representing the next generation of businesses. And, and by next generation, it's basically those businesses that have gone... Um, we need to shift to a more innovative, more sustainable and more fair economic structure if we're going to survive and prosper this century. So you know, the types of companies that are members of ours include you know, some of the, uh, the real future-focused um, super funds like Australian Ethical, Future Super, um, and also a range of other really innovative companies in everything from travel to um, tourism, um, you know, water and cleaning, surprisingly, electric vehicles, you know, the whole, whole spectrum of companies that are going, we actually need to set the right market mechanisms to support the growth of these better forms of business. Um, so I guess that's the, the context um, to really put that um, a different business perspective forth in our national debates and our policy discussions, um, and that's what we've been doing a lot of. So you know, last year we launched our first report called The Next Boom, um, which was quite a groundbreaking piece of work. It pulled together data from... Uh, 44 different industry categories and products. And basically, asked a very simple question. Um, you know, what's happened to demand for more sustainable goods and services over the past 15 years, so you know, since the turn of the century? Mm. And what we found was absolutely striking. And in every single sector we looked at, whether it was, you know, the obvious ones like solar and wind, also green buildings, organic food, um, more efficient um, home products and services, you know, every single sector we looked at, we're seeing at or um, near exponential growth in demand for these products, which is just quite fundamental and very surprising. Um, in terms and, of and, and, the growth, it probably would have come off a fairly low base, I would imagine. Would yeah, definitely. And, and look, I think that's a really important point to raise, um, and it's something that we really factored into the report. Well, you know, is this just a blip? Like, it's off a small base, so... You know, obviously it's quite comprehensive across many industry categories, so that's just something big as a thought. But because it was off such a small base, we had to look deeper and go, well, why is this happening and is it going to continue? Um, in the research, there are a lot of, I guess, micro drivers behind each individual sector, but at a high level, there were three macro drivers. The first was consumer demand. Um, you know, consumers, where possible, um, well, I guess it falls into two categories. You've got one type of consumer we called active consumers who are actively um, uh, making choices based on their values. So going, I'm going to select this product because I, it, it's more sustainable, it's more environmentally friendly, and that accords with my values. So even if I have to pay a premium, I'm going to get it. Then you also had a second group of consumer called the passive consumers, and they were the ones who were much more price sensitive, but when faced with, say, equivalent goods, let's say a washing machine, you know, two washing machines, each around $500, one four-star energy efficient, the other one six-star energy efficient or water efficient, um, they, were, they were choosing a more efficient version. And so we're seeing that as a big driver. So you've got consumer drivers pushing this demand trend higher. The second trend you've got uh, um, driver behind this is government regulation, um, whether it's the lifting of standards, 
providing incentives or mandating to drive um, the adoption towards more sustainable business models. And then the third drive, which is probably the more concerning one, is just sheer environmental necessity, whether it's resource scarcity or climate change. Um, we're seeing these pressures push demand um, higher for more sustainable products and services. Now, these three big trends are only going to get stronger in the coming decades, and therefore this flip that we're seeing off a small base is guaranteed to increase. Like, there's already a multi-trillion dollar market for more sustainable goods and services in the world, um, and this is only going to get bigger. Mm-hmm. And when we look historically... Um, sorry, I'll oh, stop talking. <laughs> um, when we look historically, the only other, I guess, boom that we found that was equivalent was the boom in uh, demand for technology from the 1970s onwards. So where we saw of a similar small base, this real spike in demand, things like uh, microchips and processors. And just like back then, we go, you know, the, the tech boom computers are going to change the world. You know, it's going to fundamentally alter our economy. We're at that same point today with sustainable products and services. Mm. You know, this is a boom we know is coming. It, it's already underway. We're not sure exactly what form it will take when it reaches its end point, say in 40, 50 years, but it's coming. Um, and therefore, the countries that move first are the ones that are going to capture the opportunity. And that's really what we're trying to do, is to say Australia has this unique opportunity. Economy in transition, the mining boom is um, fading out. What's going to come next? We really should be positioning ourselves as the world's um, preferred supplier of sustainable goods and services. Okay, so at the City of Melbourne, Tom, you produced a report in partnership with Sustainable Table, a report called We Need yeah. to Talk About Food, how, how We Can All Build a Better Food System. Um, that was to help Melbourne residents, businesses and vis- uh, visitors to better understand the impacts that, as, um, and take action on what will make our food system more sustainable and resilient. Can you tell us more about that report? Yeah, definitely. Like, that was a couple of years ago now, but... Um it was really grappling with this challenge that you know, people, uh, food is a real binder across our community. Like people come together irrespective of your background or culture over food. And increasingly people want food that can align with their values or that they can use their food choices to drive the changes in the world that they want. The challenge is there's a huge array of different changes that you can drive in your food choices. It could be, say, animal welfare. It could be environmental impact. It could be chemical impacts. It could be um, um, sustainability. It could be health and nutrition. And at the time, there was no, I guess, um, way for people to know what they should choose. And, and the other challenge is, like, there's no perfect food or perfect food choices that basically tick the box for every one of these. Um, and so what we did was basically provide a guide, guiding framework for people, whether you're an individual going out for dinner on a Friday night or you're a, um, you know, a restaurant owner wanting to provide um, a more sustainable, better array of food choices, basically a, a checklist that they could go through and go, okay, well, if this matters to me, let's say it's um, you know, the climate impacts or the carbon impacts of my food, mm-hmm. if this matters to me, this is what I should be doing. And it's been a very powerful tool. It's um, you know, freely available off the City of Melbourne website. Um, for people to get a better understanding of what the impacts are, what impacts they care most about, and how they can make a difference on the impacts that matter most to them. So that's at the City of Melbourne's website, is it? Yeah, that's right. I think um, you know, we can probably put it up on your website afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but if you just search for um, City of Melbourne, we need to talk about food, I'm sure it will pop up at the top of the listing. Okay, great. Um, because I think you're also running an event in Tasmania next month, exploring the future of food. Yeah, and, and my apologies to this siren in the background. <laughs> yes, I, I was a bit worried, I'm now walking with my little boy. <laughs> it's not me, though. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Tasmanian yeah, event? Sorry, you were saying. Exploring the future of food in Tasmania. Yeah, definitely. So this is going to be a really exciting event. So we're partner with uh, uh, the uh, University of Tasmania's Business School to hold this event to really showcase what the future of food and agriculture looks like in Tasmania. Keeping in mind some of the things we already touched on, like climate change, risk of scarcity, the market, changing consumer preference. Um, and what we've been able to do is pull together this great range of really inspiring CEOs from companies like um, Willie Smith Cider, Organic Cider, um, Houston Farm, then in Tasmania to talk about how the companies they're leading um, are already addressing these challenges and reaping the benefits. It's, it's really about engaging the broader Tasmanian community in what the opportunities are of shifting their uh, food and agriculture supply to a, a better future-focused footing, um, which is really exciting. And I guess the other thing that we're looking forward to too is bringing not just the sustainability overlay, but the technology overlay, because you know the huge advances we've seen in technology, drone technology, sensors... Um, opening up a whole realm of ways that we can both improve the productivity of our agriculture and food sectors while reducing their environmental impact. Um, so, for example, there's a great project in Tasmania, um, also in conjunction with um, the University of Tasmania, uh, called Sense-T, and that's really looking at how we can use sensor technology in everything from broad-acre cropland to oyster farms and mussel farms to have a really smart application of um, whether it's fertilisers or irrigation water. So rather than just having to say bulk irrigator a broad acre, you can go, okay, which is the area that actually needs that water? So you reduce your water use and you have a very targeted um, application of that water where it's needed. What was the name so of very that project? Exciting stuff. Um, that, that's actually, it's called a lab, it's called Sense T, so um, like common sense, sense, oh, yeah. and then just the letter T. <laughs> sense T. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check, check them out. Very impressive stuff going on. Okay. So whereabouts in Tasmania is this? It's actually going to be a series of events. The first we're holding is in Hobart on the 8th of June. If you go to the Future Business Council website, you'll be able to see and click and register if you're in the state. It's also going to be live streamed. I don't have that link on me just yet, but I'm sure we'll have it up and shared very soon. But people, if they're following on Twitter on the 8th of June, just search for the hashtag uh, Future Food Tav, and then you'll be able to follow the conversation there. Okay, excellent. Just for those that are joining us now, we're talking to Tom Quinn. He's the Executive Director of the Future Business Council. Tom, you worked at the Green Building Council um, a while ago where you managed a caseload of more than 120 Green Star projects and you worked with project teams to successfully deliver many of them. And you organise the education program, the presentations and researching and advocating the policies to increase the uptake of the Green Star rated buildings. And that really took off, didn't it? It did. Like, the work of the Green Building Council has really been instrumental in um, positioning these future-focused construction, architecture, design companies in Australia at the forefront of the global trend. Um, The building sector has a huge impact on our environment, 
cities have a huge impact on the environment, but they're also where most of the solutions lie. And I think the Green Building Council has actually been really critical in helping um, unlock and create the path for you know a, a better model for the building industry, particularly in the large-scale side of the industry. So you're ta- talking about high-rise and commercial buildings? Yeah, like initially it was high-rise commercial buildings, but the suite of green stuff products you now covers everything from hospitals, library, public schools, retail outlets. Um, so it's really expanded. Basically, most big buildings and increasing a lot of medium-sized buildings in Australia can now um, apply and be certified to the Green Star system. Um, and I, I guess it just provides, you know, almost in a similar way to the um, the food piece of work that I did at the City of Melbourne. It provides a way for people to reduce the impact that they care most about. So it might be um, the energy usage of the building, it might be the water use of the building, it might be the carbon emissions of the construction of that building, it might be the indoor environment quality. It just starts to provide that framework so people can make informed choices on the values they care most about and that matter most um, for their end user in, in the building sector. Tom, critics of this system have cited the use of the Green Star as a compliance tool rather than as a tool to encourage environmental innovation in the building industry. So the tendency to, say, credit shop and, and focus on getting the biggest bang for the buck in rather than the best environmental outcomes. Um, how, how has that played out? What are your comments on that? Oh, well, first of all, I'd say it's not a compliance tool. It's, it's a voluntary rating mechanism. Um, there's a, a range of other certifications which are compliance, um, such as Neighbours, which um, you know, it's mandated that buildings have to get that. If a building owner wants the Green Star, they're doing it proactively off their own accord. Um, so you're already starting to attract you know, the top 25% leaders, the market who are really interested. Um, when it comes to credit shopping, um, part of that I'd say... It is a concern if there's, say, credits which are no longer seen as um, leading in the market, but I think the Grimbling has been fairly good at making sure that those ones are removed. But in another way, if you do have terms going credit, it's also showing the evolution of the market. The things that might once have been seen as really leading or out there, such as um, low VOC or um, low volatile organic compound paint, which is basically that off gas in the paint, mm-hmm. that one's seen as way out there. Now they're just the norm and, and completely cost-competitive. And the way Green Star has been very good in um, I guess driving change, it has normalised a lot of these products which were once seen as out there and mm. suddenly just the regular part of the supply chain and increasingly dominate. So look, I, I think it's definitely something that should be um, watched and made sure that, you know, it, Green Star is continuing to push best practice, but... At the same time, as things become not best practice, that's not a reflection of its failure. That's actually a reflection of its success. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Tom, you've got some pretty interesting articles on your website. There's one by John Hewson where he laments the Liberal Party's policy on climate change and he states that it's a calamity that Turnbull's advocating Abbott's policies and stopping Australia from becoming the leading or leading the technological revolution, which um, is fundamental to the effective response to climate change. Now, that um, they're pretty strong words, but I, I guess um, in terms of what your um, group is trying to achieve, that's probably fairly true, isn't it, that this, it's a sustainability... Yeah, so you, dropped, and, you dropped out of that last little bit. 
Okay. Uh, what I was just saying was um, that, that's fairly that article rings true, and yeah. would be a concern to you as an organisation given the sustainability I focus that you have. And Deb, look, this is a lot of what we're doing is moving the debates we've had in Australia past ideology. I think it's a very unfortunate questions of climate change, renewable energy, energy efficiency have for whatever reason got bogged down on partisan lines. I think it's very short-sighted. It's to the detriment of our economy and it's to the detriment of the companies that are really leading the way and going, this is the future, this is where the gross opportunities are. Um, I think John Hewson recognises that. You know, he's obviously the Liberal Party. He's got a lot of investments into, you know, um, next-generation businesses. Um, and a lot of what we've been doing is to really show that this doesn't need to be an ideological debate. This is just the future of business. This is where we need to go. That's a very good point, and and that's the the problem, isn't it? That there isn't bipartisan support, and they're, they're always playing one off against the other. And sorry, unfortunately, you dropped out again a bit. I, I, I apologise to all your listeners to make sure my little boy. I keep sleeping. I'm, I'm out on the streets pushing in the stroller. So. <laughs> Into areas of bad this reception. Hour of the day, it's a bit risky with the rush hour. So. <laughs> yeah. If this becomes a habit, you're going to have to map your reception areas, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's a work in progress, let me tell you. <laughs> I was, I was just saying, Tom, that um, it, it is a, a real problem for business, isn't it, that this, there isn't bipartisan support for this sort of work and these sort of products because there is never a stable direction for them to go in. Yeah, definitely. And look, uh, particularly given that Australia has really produced some of the best minds and ladies in this space, but so often they haven't been supported enough in bringing their ideas to commercialisation scaling because, you know, a lot of the time... Um, our market is still tilted towards vested interests as opposed to um, the companies coming next and producing the next uh, generation of productivity and, and prosperity. Um, I think like the solar industry is probably one of the best examples of this. Um, you know, coming out of UNSW, we have produced you know, uh, far more than our fair share of the world's best solar researchers, um, scientists, um, visionaries. Just about every single one of them, if they want to commercialise their product, have to head overseas to California, to Germany, to China. And I think that's a real missed opportunity for Australia, and it's a missed opportunity because it's purely a failure of policy. Like, the public overwhelmingly support renewables. That's innovation thinking, and we've got the best brains. It's just in the middle when it comes to getting the policy settings right and getting the investments flowing that was that was fallen down. You have applauded the Labor Party's climate change action plans for this election. What are the key points that impress you? Uh, look, we've been particularly impressed by Labor Party, particularly given the um, acrimonious situation it's been here. We're actually um, a bit concerned that there wouldn't be any policies coming out, but having a you know, reasonably strong commitment on renewables, reasonably strong commitment on introducing um, you know, baseline trading mechanisms for carbon, this is really good. It's Obviously, a first step. We need to go further. Um, Australia actually had a world-leading advancement in terms of carbon trading and um, the service side of the carbon markets uh, back when the first carbon price was introduced. Mm-hmm. Sadly, we lost lost that, um, which is unfortunate timing, given that was when the rest of the world was under boom with the introduction of carbon trading throughout China, EU um, states. We've still got a lot of the smart people here that were involved in that, and I think we can still recapture a good share of that market if we start to 
um, you know, move quickly. And I think that's where that policy comes into play. So but we're just really happy to be able to see, um, you know, policies come out in this election and they're actually acknowledging um, both the realities but also the business growth opportunity um, of, um, you know, addressing the impacts of climate change and increasing renewable energy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And where would you put the Greens in that then? Uh, well, I think the Greens have always been um, quite aligned um, with the broader trend towards you know, the next generation of business. Um, their renewable target is obviously 90% by 2030, which is just fantastic. That will really drive a huge amount of change if we can um, get it um, embedded into law. And, you know, opportunities are opening up now with this election campaign. We may have a hung parliament, but suddenly a whole realm of new opportunities for the next generation of business will open up. Um, on the climate front and the agriculture front, I think there's a lot of shared um, opportunities there too, particularly when we look at um, questions like the climate resilience um, of our agriculture sector, which is really the, one of the most exposed sectors we've got in Australia. Um, but, and we've got a long history of agricultural research, but this is just about making it um, focused on the next challenges, which is shifting climate bans, um, increased climate variability, the need for new, more resilient um, crops. You know, th- these are questions. Mm. The big question, though, which I don't think any of the parties is dealing with, which I'd really like to see, and there's a huge growth opportunity too, is the question of drawdown. Or basically, how do we start to suck carbon out of the atmosphere um, through tree planting, through other technologies? Um, yeah, which which is assumed in the IPCC um, uh, forecast, but it's uh, not not a known technology yet of how we're going to do that. That's right. Well, not a known technology apart from planting trees, and yeah, we've got some yeah. of the most carbon-rich um, forests in the world, particularly in the the South Gippsland area through the Stresleki Ranges with the mountain ash forest. Um, mm. You've got a lot of degraded farmland in some of these parts too, and that's provide yeah. an opportunity if we can get the right market mechanisms for farmers in those areas to start to rebuild their livelihoods through drawdown technologies mm. and reforestation. Um, but until we get the market mechanisms and the policies in place for that, we're not going to see that opportunity realised. We're going to have a lot of uh, marginal um, degraded farmland, which is not meeting productive capacity to this new generation and not buying us the time we need to um, fully transition our um, economy to a low-carbon base. Tom, we are out of time now. Um, thank you so much for your um, I- input. Um, where can pe- listeners find out more information about your dis- uh, your comments today? Uh, look, I'd encourage them to head to our website, um, www.futurebusinesscouncil.com. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter if you'd like more regular updates and also subscribe to our newsletter. Um, it's, it's where you'll find out most of what we're doing. If you're also interested in about our research, I'm sure many of you listeners maybe, if you just search for the next boom and future business counts, we'll come up at the top of the listing. Mm. Thanks thank you so much. much um, and, and all the best with the new baby. Yes, what, what's, yeah, what's thanks, his name? Thank you very much. Archie. Archie, <laughs> we'll tell him well Archie done. Quinn. <laughs> it's not a product. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. 
next 40 years that the station's been around. I hope it's around for the next 40 years. CR has been a trailblazer. It's still the leader and the benchmark in terms of actually engaging the community. Keep the trail blazing. Support 3CR in our 40th birthday radiothon. From June 6 to 19. To donate, call 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au. The role it plays is really, really, really important. And the role it plays in empowering people on a personal level, empowering communities and giving communities the power to actually take a bit of control of their future cannot be underestimated. Mm-hmm.